2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. People of Paris,
3: attention. Calling Tau City. Everyone has a story in the district of Wonders. Come and find yours. transmissions. I'm waiting to be found,
4: and i This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome, hello, and welcome to Show 588. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Tell you what's coming in day. show. We have The Engineers of Abundance by Aaron Emmel. That's it. And that's it. That's, of course, that's not it, man. We've got to hear me here. It's Sturgis. <laughs> yes. This is all coming in day. Sure, I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. Before that, though, don't forget we have now said goodbye to Tales to Terrify and wish them all the luck in the world. They're on. They're, they're sailing their own dark seas, <laughs> and it's just you know a fantastic, fantastic. Just kind of. I'm quite actually. I'm. I'm rather proud of myself. You know what I mean? It, what me and Larry created. Me and Larry. Larry and myself created a long time ago. Now it's kind of set free to open waters. And amazing. So do pop over and support them on Perion. That would be fantastic. They're on there. And I think they're going to do a Kickstarter as well. So let's just wish Tales to Terrify a fantastic time. And that is just amazing. So you want some science fiction? Eh? Well, then. The Engineers of Abundance by Aaron Emmel. This story was first published in Imperium. October 1st, 2018, Aaron's stories have appeared in numerous magazines and anthologies. Thanks to the patience of his wonderful wife, and despite the impatience of his wonderful children, Aaron also writes essays, graphic novels, and interactive fiction. And you can find him online at aaronemmel.com. This story is narrated by Anthony Babington. Anthony a is an expiring, expi- expiring, aspiring voice actor, sorry, aunt, a voice actor who just looks slightly off from how he sounds. From his secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he narrates podcasts and leases his soul to corporate America. He has previously recorded for Farfetch Fables and The Cursed Inn, and you can find him at Alpha at Baker, sorry, at Twitter.
0: So, the Starship Suva is very proud present. The Engineers of Abundance by Aaron Emmel. Hayden had never seen so much wealth in one place before. He stopped short at the balcony and stared down in awe. Behind him, the click of boot heels on polished slate grew louder as the voy manufacturing guards closed in. Their pace was steady and certain. There was nowhere for him to run. The air had the electrified scent of ozone and left the taste of dust in his mouth. Light filtered down through the skylights frosted to block the prying cameras of spy satellites and surveillance drones. Shelves lined the walls and rose in tiers from the islands that dominated the floor below him. Robots moved between the islands, stacking and removing items, loading pallets onto the automated carts that darted from one side of the room to the other, all moving so quickly and choreographed so precisely that a human would have been run over or decapitated by a swinging arm within seconds of entering. Carts exited continually with stacks of goods to some point beneath Hayden's feet, but more carts kept entering through the large doorway at the distant end of the room, bearing every imaginable type of commodity and numerous finished products to be sorted and stocked by the robot workers. Only empty trucks ever enter the Nouveau compound, Jenna used to tell him. "'but they're always full when they leave. "'So where does everything come from?' "'As Hayden watched, "'the carts brought in more and more and still more. "'Trailer-sized canisters of liquid helium, "'massive chained bundles of mahogany logs, "'barrel after barrel of crude and synthetic oil, "'crates of frozen shark and whale meat, "'half-ton cubes of scandium and antimony and zinc.' "'boxes of the element dysprosium. "'And the real reason for this room "'and the compound that housed it, "'a pyramid of huge chests "'taking up half an acre of floor space, "'each chest bearing a label "'that in one word explained the reason for the war "'and what would be required to win it. "'Phosphate.' "'Then his eye was caught "'by a collection of finished products "'on one of the closest islands. "'Sitting on the middle shelf "'was an entire bin of Thivix capsules. Enough of the drug to have kept Jenna alive for years. He stared at it and barely moved as two guards stepped up on either side of him. Hayden Kahenda, one of the guards said near his ear, the steel jaw of a handcuff locked around his left wrist. How far did you think your falsified credentials would get you? Hayden twisted his body to face him, adrenaline washing away his memories and regrets. I hoped they would get me here. The guard yanked Hayden's other arm back and cuffed his wrists together. Search him. The guard who had spoken was too tall for his company-issued uniform. He held his fists near his sides like a pair of clubs. His companion had the stunted stature that marked her immediately as a survivor of famine. She patted Hayden down. In his waistband, she found a white plastic cylinder, a little wider and squatter than a pin. A mini-disruptor. She looked at it without recognition and slipped it into her pocket. If you knew enough about Nuvoi to get through security, you know about the Nuvoi Act, she said. There was no point now in trying to maintain his cover. I used to be a Nuvoi contractor. And you know that on this compound we're an authorized police force. We can detain you for up to twenty-four hours before we hand you over to the Virginia State Police. Hayden looked her in the eye. I want to talk to Jonathan Green. What a coincidence, she answered. He wants to speak with you. Jonathan Green, President and CEO of Novoy Manufacturing, was having lunch in his private office suite. Hayden's captors pushed him forward so that he stood in front of the table in Green's dining room, while the CEO leaned back from his plate and wiped his hands with a cloth napkin, looking him over as if examining a perplexing report. You're the energy consultant! For a moment, when Green's hand had passed over the table, images had appeared on the surface. Menu options. Fresh fruit pastries, a green salad grilled rare steak. The products of fertilizer, water, and wealth that most people had thought they had lost forever before Nouveau made them possible again. What are you doing here, Kahenda? he demanded. His voice was soft but insistent. Hayden didn't answer. You did good work for us. If you needed another job, you could have asked. For some reason, Hayden thought of Jenna's Thyvix capsules. Nuvoi could give you anything you needed, until suddenly it didn't. And when it stopped, was when you realized how much depended on a single corporation. I came to find out what happened to the fusion plant I designed. Green frowned. That's classified. This facility is crucial to the war effort. You're not connected to the grid and your solar farm isn't big enough for your operations. So you must be drawing additional power from somewhere. Green's voice hardened in an instant. You're trespassing. You potentially compromise national security by breaking into the warehouse. The reactor I worked on New Voice reactor. Out of the corners of his eyes, Hayden saw both guards tense, waiting for a cue from their boss. I saw the leaked memo that says Nuvoi developed transmutation technology. But the trucks coming into the compound are empty. So what's being transmuted? Our work is classified. I'm giving you one last chance to explain your presence here. A young man with downcast eyes entered the room, picked up Green's plate, and shuffled back out. The man bore the same telltale and familiar signs of stunting as the female guard. It was impossible to forget that if Nouvoy hadn't ended the North American famines, everyone born since then would have looked like that. Which was probably why no one wanted to ask the obvious questions. Whatever you're doing here must require energy. So where is it coming from? Green rose slowly. You're a corporate spy. That, or just a traitor. A cold fist closed over Hayden's stomach. I'm neither. I'm an engineer. You know that. You spies, Green said. You thieves. You want to steal instead of create. Our country is at war. The whole world is fighting for cropland. You can't get more food without fertilizer, and there's not enough fertilizer without phosphorus. There are countries trying to reclaim phosphorus from their sewage systems, and their people die of starvation anyway. But we produce more, every day. And you think I'll just give up our methods? I'm not a spy. It's not just phosphorus. Why do you think we're winning the war? Because the Pentagon's contractors can keep building advanced weapon systems, while our enemies have to dig up landfills to find rare earths or make it a crime to throw away their electronics instead of recycling them. The Pentagon has what it needs because of us. It comes from Nuvoi. There was no point in provoking Green further. Maybe I should just be on my way. I'm proud of the work I've done for Nuvoi in the past, and I'm willing to leave it at that. Green motioned to a side door. Keith, take him down to lockup. The detention rooms were in the basement of a building near the middle of the compound. The guards were silent as they removed Hayden's cuffs and directed him into the cell. "'How long are you going to keep me here?' Hayden asked. The woman opened her mouth to respond, but her companion glared at her, and she kept quiet as they swung the door shut. Hayden heard the electronic click of the lock. It was a bare room, hardly larger than a closet, with no furniture. The only object it contained was a pink plastic bucket. Weak light came from four bulbs behind four ceiling panels. It was clearly not designed for long-term occupancy. Hayden tested the door and the ceiling panels. Though not a real prison, there was no way out until his captors wanted him out. He paced, and his thoughts returned to the bin of Thivix. Newvoy had given Hayden a bottle of Thyvix for Jenna when he was contracted to them for the power plant. The pills couldn't be found in stores, and they were marked with the logo of a company that they'd never heard of and wasn't on the Internet. The pills ran out at about the same time as Hayden's contract did, and his contact claimed he was unable to get more. It was while she was housebound, toward the end, that Jenna started wondering how Nuvoi had been able to procure a drug that didn't otherwise seem to exist. Which led to the bigger question, how did Nuvoi function at all? First she read all the exposés she could and spent time on message boards and in chat rooms. The leaks about Nuvoi's supposed transmutation technology had just come out. When the news articles didn't answer her questions, she started looking up Nuvoi's patents. The memo about the transmutation device is fake, Jenna announced one evening. A tech writer in Cleveland apparently traced the leak back to Jonathan Green's office, but then Nouveau sued him to take his post down. They sued him to prevent him from saying a leak they'd complained was false was really false? Hayden had known he didn't have much time left with her, so he had made her interests his. Complaining about the memo was part of their attempt to raise its profile. A few days later, she had another announcement. I figured it out. Hayden had been watching a documentary of the pre Nouveau years, when the first food riots had struck major American cities. Figured out what, hon? I've been looking up all of Nouveau's patents, both theirs and their subsidiaries. The hardest part was just figuring out who all the subsidiaries are. By that time, Jenna was no longer able to rise from the bed. She spent most of her time humming to herself while she read her tablet. Hayden walked into the room and sat beside her. Most of their patents don't seem to have anything to do with their main business, Jenna said. Unless you put them together and see how they fit. Nuvoy created a teleporter. He stared at her. If the technology really exists, it opens a wormhole across space-time. They could get to any other place on Earth instantly if they were able to set up a portal there first. Now, pacing the cell, Hayden realized he was humming the same song she'd sung to herself almost constantly during those last few weeks. He had never heard it before, and she claimed not to know where it came from. Where will I go? Left and down and back to where I started. Right and up and down again. Hayden was still pacing and humming when the lock clicked. He went and pressed his ear against the door, and then pushed. It opened. The hall was empty. The guard, or someone she'd passed it off to, had brought the disruptor into the control center, and evidently it had done its job. Hayden knew the compound's general layout from satellite images. A small building abutted the warehouse's north wall. few people went in or out, and it was always guarded. From the balcony, however, it had appeared to be the source of the carts and forklifts that kept the warehouse stocked. He followed a series of underground passages and found his way back to the warehouse and into a ground-floor corridor that paralleled the main room. He was almost to the door that led to the attached building when he heard the lock's bolt slide home. Nouveau's IT technicians must have realized what the disruptor was doing and shut it off. Kahenda, a voice behind him said. He turned. You're persistent, Green told him. But you've come to the end of the road. There's nowhere else for you to go, so you might as well give me the truth. What are you here for? Hayden scanned the area for an escape route, but the door behind him had a swipe pad that required an unlock pattern to open. A moment later, a squad of seven guards entered the wide corridor and fanned out behind Green. They were armed with semi-automatic pistols and stun batons. We can still use your skills, Green said. Maybe you can work for us again. I don't have to press charges. He watched Hayden's face. You would have to remain on site, of course, now that you've seen this warehouse. Hayden didn't move. What do you want? If it exists, I can get it for you. No one else can promise what I can. Hayden thought of Jenna, diving in a smooth parabola back when she was fully healthy, her body sliding into the blue glowing reactor water without a splash, and then swimming powerfully down to repair the valves. It was the first time he had ever seen her. It was a job robots hadn't been able to do yet, and for the afternoon of work she had received a year's salary. She was brilliant and risk-taking and strong. I want to have had the chance to say goodbye to my wife before she died. I'm sorry you lost her, but think of all the other wives and husbands you could help by coming back to us. Green took a step closer. Without us, the country wouldn't get fed, Hayden. If you want me to consider working with you, I need answers. Hayden gestured toward the shelves beyond the wall. Where does all of this come from? Green's eyes hardened and he planted his feet. I built all of this so we can eat and survive and maybe win our war. If you can look outside and still not think that's enough of an answer for you, then there's no reason for you to be here. We already have state troopers at the gate waiting to take you to jail. Hayden spun and lunged for the door. Stop! one of the guards shouted. Step back with your hands up! The pounding of boots told him that the other guards were surging forward. Hayden stabbed his finger against the swipe pad, unsure about what to do next. Then a familiar tune came to his head. Left and down and back to where I started, right and up and down again. Hayden swiped his finger left, down, diagonally up to the right-hand corner, and then down once more. The bolt retracted and the door slid open. Hayden ran through it. He was in a building that consisted of one large room. The air was dim, and once again he smelled dust and ozone. Two men sat behind a glass partition that blocked off the area in front of the western wall, studying a bank of monitors. Robotic carts emerged in a constant stream from a huge gate in the middle of the floor and followed a path of painted stripes and orange cones to the doorway that led to the warehouse. When he looked through the gate, he saw a line of robotic carts waiting to come through but when he looked past or around the gate, the floor behind it was empty. As Hayden ran toward the gate, he heard a buzzing sound, and the smell of ozone grew stronger. The scene through the gate wavered as if he were looking at it through a haze of desert heat. Stop now! the guard behind him bellowed. No, don't shoot! Don't shoot near the portal! Green yelled. Hayden leapt through the gate. He felt an electric tingling across his skin, and then he was on the other side. He ducked behind the rumbling wagons and kept them between himself and the glass-walled control center as he headed for a door marked Exit at the end of the room. There was an armed guard in this version of the room, and there were still two people behind the glass, women instead of men, but none of them saw him. Hayden reached the exit and pushed through. He was outside. The disk of the sun burned through a dust-darkened sky. Hayden breathed in the gritty air and coughed. At first glance, the compound looked the same as when he had first arrived earlier that day. But when he did a second take, he saw changes everywhere. One of the smaller buildings was gone. Others were taller or had additional wings. All of the structures were covered in different sidings or paint coats than he remembered. And each of them, even the ones he'd never seen before looked beaten by weather and age. But the most notable update was an entirely new building adjacent to the one he'd just left, in the place where a fenced-off construction site had appeared in satellite images. He recognized it as soon as he turned his head back and saw it, because he had helped design it. It was Nuvoi's fusion power plant. A near-ceaseless stream of wagons trundled in through the compound's main gate and split into two branches one proceeding into the warehouse, and the other into the portal building. A second stream carried goods back out of the warehouse to join the carts on their way to the portal. Empty wagons headed back to the gate. Workers were stationed at points along the main route, but other than the large Nuvoi logo, nothing about their uniforms was familiar. They wore blue-gray coveralls along with masks, the latter apparently to filter out the dust. Hayden ducked into a shaded corner between the power plant and the portal building to avoid being seen, and planned his next move. Even out of the direct path of the sun the heat was a weight on his body, and his clothes already clung to his flesh with sweat. He quickly forgot about his discomfort, however, as his eyes fell upon two signs. The first was a poster. Notice, it read in large letters, Intruder from the target site. Notify command immediately if spotted. Apprehend and secure if possible. He looked between the words and the accompanying photos several times, as if expecting one of them to change. But no matter how much he stared, the picture remained the same. It was an image of him. The other sign was metal and affixed to the wall next to the portal building entrance. Warning. Do not pass through portal. Do not enter target site. Lethal levels of radiation in use. Beneath the words was the universal symbol of radiation. Radiation poisoning. He had radiation poisoning. The first thought that came to his mind wasn't his mortality, but Jenna's. He had held her hand when she died. He had stretched the thivax to make it last longer. Finally there was nothing left to stretch. Her final decline came so suddenly that by the time he realized it was the end, she was no longer responsive, and he never knew if she heard any of the things he whispered as he lay beside her. After her body was taken away, he sat for hours on the empty bed, trying to relive every moment they had shared in the room. It was late evening before he stood up. Only then did he open the drawer in the nightstand next to the mattress that still held the void of her impression. He was looking for something he was afraid to find, but nothing was there. The drawer was as empty as the bed. Now he shook his head as if the motion could physically clear his mind. He had to concentrate on avoiding the Nouveau guards. He used the carts as cover and made his way to the compound's gate. The world outside the wall was as gray as the glowering sky. He had traveled to Nuvoi that morning over a boulevard bordered by trees and parks. Instead of that broad street, he now walked beside a strip of asphalt, surrounded by a desert of clay and sand. Thistles and dry grasses crunched under his feet. The suburb he had passed was gone, along with any sign that buildings had once stood there. When he glanced back, he saw the compound looming like a fortress over a lunar landscape. Against this bleak backdrop there was constant motion. Carts filled the broken road, heading toward the compound laden with goods and returning empty. Every sixth vehicle was an automated tank. Men and women in masks and Nouveau uniforms were posted at guard towers at regular intervals, fingering assault rifles and scanning the horizon. An airstrip occupied a hill just to the north above which one plane circled while several more were lined up on the tarmac waiting to depart. Nouveau workers unloaded boxes and bundles from the cargo plane at the front of the line and hefted them onto yet more empty wagons. The guards glanced at Hayden from their towers, determined he wasn't a threat, and looked away. Occasionally he passed the skeletons of carts that looked as though they'd been twisted by explosions. His feet started dragging. He felt weak and slow and nauseous. But he didn't know if that was because of the heavy heat or the smoky air or the radiation in his blood. Depending on the dosage, he knew what he had to look forward to. Diarrhea, dizziness, vomiting. Within a day, he would start having trouble making decisions. Within a month, he would be dead. Unless I get Thyvix. But Thivix or no, his body wouldn't be able to take a second trip through the portal. He crested a hill and looked down at the city of Tyson's Corner. It was in ruins. Had it fallen in the war? As he approached, he realized the buildings hadn't been bombed. They had been stripped. He stumbled forward on increasingly weak legs, periodically stopping to retch and then moving again, staring. Windows gaped open, all the glass removed. The metal facades of buildings had been torn off. Light bulbs were gone from street lamps. There were people living in the hollowed office towers. They were the first people Hayden had seen since passing through the portal who weren't wearing nouveau uniforms. A few rode bikes, but most walked, or watched him suspiciously from the gloom of lightless rooms. They almost all wore Nuvoi masks even the children, and everyone he saw looked emaciated. Next to the buildings that seemed the most heavily populated were large water tanks with prominent Nouveau logos on their sides. Finally he stopped, exhausted, and put his hands on his knees as a wave of sickness made his stomach and intestines clench. When the attack passed, his stomach still churned, but he was able to draw his breath back in and straighten his back. "'This is the future,' he told himself out loud to make it real. "'He stood back up. "'Whenever this was, he would need Thyvix or another equally powerful medication to survive. "'And there was one obvious place to look for it. "'He walked toward one of the compound-bound carts, "'wondering whether he had the strength to jump on and hitch a ride.' A siren blasted from the vehicle as soon as he got within a couple of yards. Stop, thief! An electronic-sounding voice boomed from the closest tank. Hayden lurched to a quick halt and turned to face the tank, perhaps twenty yards away, as its guns spun on its turret to face him. You are at risk of violating Nouveau property. Step back or I will be forced to terminate you. Hayden took a step back. After a moment, the tank rejoined the convoy on rumbling treads. He trudged back to the compound. He had to pause several times to catch his breath or wait out a spell of dizziness. When he reached the gate, he noticed for the first time how much wider and taller the walls were than when he'd originally entered. The concrete was pitted and blackened. Automated guns swiveled toward him as he approached, and he stopped. He shouted until concealed speakers crackled to life. Nouvoy doesn't accept visitors, a prerecorded voice announced. You are welcome to access our customer service chatbot. Thank you for your interest. My name is Hayden Kahenda, Hayden announced loudly. I want to see Jonathan Green. He didn't know whether Green was still alive or what he'd do if he weren't. But a few minutes later, a guard stepped into view and motioned him inside. After Hayden re-entered the compound, he was surrounded by a small phalanx of guards and searched. This time, at least, he wasn't handcuffed. The guards led him to the executive building he had last been in half a day and decades earlier. The inside of the building had been updated from refined to opulent. The surfaces were dressed in gleaming marble. Fixtures and door frames were gilded. The air had been scrubbed of impurities. The employees who stepped aside for them in the halls wore comfortable-looking clothes rather than the uniforms that were ubiquitous outside. Hayden and his escort passed the elevator that led to the CEO's suite and kept walking. The guard stopped and stood at attention as a man in an elegant suit walked by. He strode through the hallway with an air of command, but just after he passed he glanced back at Hayden as if trying to place him. It was the butler who had taken Green's plate in the dining room. Now he was much older, with a fuller face and figure. A moment later he stepped into the CEO elevator and was gone. The guards brought Hayden to a small office with no windows. Green stared at him. Wow. He shook his head and stood up. He looked tired and frail, a mannequin of skin and bones lost within his Nuvoi coveralls. You're exactly the same as when you entered the portal thirty years ago. He turned to the guards. You can leave us. Mr. Kahenda is an old friend. After they were alone, Hayden asked. So the future is paying for the past. How long can this be sustained? It can't, Green said. If I were still in control, I wouldn't have let it get this far. Nuvoi is wealthier now than it's ever been, but I don't know how any civilization outside these walls can ever recover. War is over? No. Somewhere, America's machines and our enemy's autonomous forces are still destroying each other. But there's no one left with the power to stop Nuvoi. Everyone who thought they could has already tried. Then stop it yourself, Hayden said. End this! Green looked past Hayden to the wall. When I first created the portal decades ago, and the first bot and its message came through... I assumed that I was the one who was on the other side pulling the strings. I thought that here I was in control. He sighed. But it's Donovan. He took over little by little, and he's openly been CEO for the past ten years or so. He needs me to make sure my younger self is able to build the company and doesn't get suspicious. And if it weren't for that, he would have sent me out to the camps years ago. Or just killed me. He said it matter of factly. I've tried to send messages to my past self, but obviously I didn't figure them out, because here I am. But I have to keep trying until I get caught and Donovan kills me, regardless of my modest value to him. If you could talk to him, I'm a prisoner. Green's instinctive impatience and self-certainty blazed through the indignities of his frailty and situation. I might look comfortable, but I can't leave. Still, maybe we can help each other. He met Kahenda's gaze. I offered you a position years ago, and I'm prepared to do it again. We're no longer able to maintain the fusion reactor so we're using a series of incinerators, but they're inefficient. I could use your expertise in the long term, but more importantly, I can use your help now. Jonathan, he wanted to explain that he wasn't going to live long enough to improve Nuvoi's power plants, but Green cut him off again. You can help me return to power. I've written myself a note warning about Donovan's plans, and I've bribed a source room technician to recalibrate the portal settings at my signal so that one of the shipments goes back to an earlier time. I've just been waiting for an opportunity. If this fails, everyone involved will be executed, but if it succeeds, I'll be back in control. And I'll make sure you're rewarded commensurately. It only took a few seconds for Hayden to decide what to do. I'll deliver the control center for you, if you can get me Thyvix. Green stared at him. Of course. You came through the portal. You're sick. He nodded thoughtfully. I can get you a year's supply, at least. Maybe more. I need it now. That's fine. I'll see what I can do. In the meantime, I have a security guard uniform that should get you into the portal room, so let's make sure it fits. I'm not doing anything until I get a Thyvix capsule. Green looked irritated, but Hayden's knees buckled and he collapsed into a silk-cushioned chair. Green immediately turned to speak to someone through a cylindrical device on his desk. A short time later, a man came in with a paper-wrapped package. After the man had left, Green unfolded the paper and placed a Thyvix pill in Hayden's hand. He walked to another room and came back with a glass of water. Hayden swallowed it down. The water was cold and sweet. He clenched the armrests until the room stopped spinning and he was able to lift his head. The company that made Thyvix operated for about five years, Green said. Their products were in demand, but eventually people could no longer afford them and they could no longer get the necessary supplies. He handed Hayden a manila envelope. The letter. Enter through the warehouse. Don't stop. Don't speak to anyone. All you have to do is get to the source room and wait until the portal display shows the year 2063. It will stay at that year for five minutes. Drop the letter into any of the carts heading into the portal. That's all you have to do. How will I get to the source room? Is the swipe code the same? Yes. It was changed after you broke in, but at some point we reverted back to the default. Can you show me what it is? You already know. You got into the room. I'd like you to go over it with me again, just to be sure. Green's impatience was back on display, but he did as Hayden asked. There was a guard in the portal room. It'll be taken care of. Don't speak to anyone. Just complete your mission and then walk outside. If it worked, I'll be back in control. I've added to the letter so that I'll be aware of the role you played. If it doesn't, none of this matters. Is there a trick to getting past the robots in the warehouse safely? Just avoid them. As I said, don't speak to anyone. Don't stop. Just walk through and complete your mission. Okay. Hayden was beginning to feel some of his strength coming back, even though his bones and muscles still ached and his stomach was still a knot. He used his arms to push himself back up to his feet. I haven't been out of these rooms in four years, Green said. What I miss most isn't even my freedom. I miss the sub-sandwiches I used to eat as a kid. He sighed and shook his head. You can't get the ingredients anymore, but when you're done, everything will be different. It'll be the way it should be. A few minutes later, walking toward the warehouse in the Nouveau uniform, Hayden knew Green was wrong. He was lying to himself if he wasn't intentionally lying to Hayden. Nothing would be different, because this was the system that Green had designed. Hayden was grateful to escape the scorching sun and return to the warehouse's cool vastness. He patted the pocket that held the pen he had swiped as a weapon of last resort as he changed into the uniform. He entered beneath the balcony and immediately saw why Green had been so dismissive of his safety concerns. Only about a quarter of the machines he had seen originally were still in use, and large stretches of the shelves were empty. The present had been stripped of its resources. The island for finished products was almost directly in his path. He went to it and stopped in front of the Thivix bin. It was mostly empty. There were a handful of pills at the bottom. Enough for one person for about a year. Hayden thought of the date Green had mentioned, 2063. That was about a year before Jenna had died. Hayden pulled open the envelope's flap and slid out the letter. He recognized the paper immediately. During the last week of Jenna's life, he had entered the bedroom to find her reading what looked like a handwritten note. He had walked in on her reading the same letter once before. Both times, she quickly slid the paper into a drawer in her nightstand. What was that? he asked on the second occasion. Oh, nothing, she replied, looking away. Just something from an old friend. Hey! someone shouted down from the balcony. You! Who are you? Step away from the bin! Hayden leaned over, reached in, and grabbed the pills. He dropped them into the envelope. Stop! You! Don't move! Hayden turned Green's note over and wrote a message to Jenna. It was brief. It contained the code to the door to the portal room. They explained where he was and told her goodbye. Behind him, the door banged open. He heard the by now familiar clatter of boots on the floor. He reinserted the paper into the envelope and pressed the seal back down, scratched out Green's name, and in its place scrawled Jenna's name and address in care of his old Nuvoi project manager. Then he ran. A guard caught up to him just before he reached the door. The guard grabbed his wrist and pulled it back to handcuff. Behind him now there were more guards, more footsteps and voices. Hayden fought free, raced to the door and entered the code. The guard grabbed him again, and again Hayden tore free and burst through the door. He saw everything in an instant, the portal with the year 2063 displayed on the screen above it, and a cart lumbering through. Hayden threw the envelope onto the cart and turned to face the guards charging into the room. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw the cart pass through into the past. Goodbye, he said to Jenna, out loud even though she was decades away, and smiled as the guards closed in.
4: And there you go. Big thank you, Aaron. Aaron, thank you so much, man. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And Annie, anytime you want to come back on, sir, just a lovely voice. Thank you so much. Indeed. So it is, it is, yes, it is our very own ABH Sturgis. EMS!
1: Hello, my friends. It's time for another look back into genre history. Today, I'd like to recommend a new 2019 book, that sheds light on genre history, and it does so in a unique and personal way. The book is by Mallory O'Meara, who is herself a filmmaker. As she describes herself, she seeks creative projects filled with horror and monsters, and she is a screenwriter and a film producer for Dark Dunes Productions. And the book she has written is part autobiography, part commentary on the position of women in film as filmmakers, as creatives behind the scenes uh, from the dawn of film to today. And part of it is her detective story as she tries to track down and learn the real history of a woman she considers a hero, one of her inspirations, one of the reasons she is, in fact, in the career that she has pursued. The book is The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick. Now, I like a good university press history as well as anyone, and nothing thrills me more than getting into a good, dense set of endnotes and rolling around in the scholarship. But I found that the personal style of this book really worked. And in fact, if you like audiobooks, the audiobook version of this is narrated by Mallory O'Meara herself. And this is one of the times this actually enhances the experience. She's a terrific narrator, and this is such a personal story for her. Just to give you a sense, she had tattooed on her arm the portrait of the beautiful Millicent Patrick with the universal monster that she helped to design, the creature from the Black Lagoon, as inspiration for her own aspirations as a creator and as a storyteller, long before she knew anything else about Millicent Patrick, except for the fact that she was an artist, that she was an art designer, and that we wouldn't have the creature from the Black Lagoon, at least in the way that we see him in the film, without her. Mallory O'Meara didn't even know if Millicent Patrick were alive or dead. And in fact, no one else seemed to know that either. Uh, She had seemed to disappear off the face of the earth. And the story of how Mallory O'Meara conducts her own research and detective project To discover the story of Millicent Patrick is itself a really interesting story. And then, of course, it's even more fascinating because what she discovered, well, it's of great interest and great import. Not only in the history of women in film, although most certainly it speaks to a lot of the things that Mallory O'Meara and many other people find very important today in the era of the Me Too movement and Time's Up movement and the call for greater representation in filmmaking in all aspects of filmmaking. But it's also just incredibly fascinating because Millicent Patrick was involved with so many important works related to genre history she was, in fact, a true pioneer. Before I mention some of the aspects of the story that I found most interesting from a genre history point of view, let me read the official blurb for the book. Quote, as a teenager, Mallory O'Meara was thrilled to discover that one of her favorite movies, Creature from the Black Lagoon, featured a monster designed by a woman, Millicent Patrick. But for someone who should have been hailed as a pioneer in the genre, there was little information available. For, as Omira soon discovered, Patrick's contribution had been claimed by a jealous male colleague. Her career had been cut short, and she soon after had disappeared from film history. No one even knew if she was still alive. As a young woman working in the horror film industry, Omira set out to right the wrong, and in the process discovered the full, fascinating story of an ambitious, artistic woman ahead of her time. Patrick's contribution to special effects proved to be just the latest chapter in a remarkable, unconventional life, from her youth growing up in the shadow of Hearst Castle to her career as one of Disney's first female animators. And at last... O'Meara discovered what really had happened to Patrick after the creature's success and where she went. A true-life detective story and a celebration of a forgotten feminist trailblazer, Mallory O'Meara's The Lady from the Black Lagoon establishes Patrick in her rightful place in film history while calling out a Hollywood culture where little has changed since. End quote. If I have any criticism at all of the book, it is that Omira does insert herself later in the book a bit much to convey her horror at the treatment of Millicent Patrick, and in fact, women in film, when I think really the facts speak for themselves, and we don't need to be told to feel horrid, something that is truly, genuinely horrifying. So who was Millicent Patrick? We really didn't know, actually, until Mallory O'Meara did a lot of her research. And it is rather remarkable to hear the number of times she was told that there wasn't going to be enough there to interest anyone, that it was really a purposeless project to even try to uncover what this woman had done. Because as it turns out, she does have quite a story. Millicent Patrick was born Mildred Elizabeth Fulvia de Rossi. She lived from 1915 to 1998. She was an actress, makeup artist, special effects designer, and animator. O'Meara went into the project knowing that Millicent Patrick was responsible for the conceptual design, the artistic look of the iconic Gill from the 1954 universal horror film Creature from the Black Lagoon. This makes the Man the only universal monster created by a woman. But Millicent Patrick, as it turns out, and a lot of the fun or fascination of this book is the process by which the uh, detective work necessary to learn all the things that Millicent Patrick was involved with. The Creature from the Black Lagoon is just one. She was involved with part of the animation for Fantasia. And in fact, to my way of thinking, the best part of Fantasia, that is the Night on Bald Mountain sequence, with the evil Chernabog at its center, at its peak, if you will. And I learned quite a lot about early Disney animation, the training of the animators and colorers, Uh, the way that the process worked, and even sort of the employee life and system that Disney devised. Very interesting stuff. Now, there's no denying the science fiction appeal of The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which has had vast staying power and also a long influence on other films, perhaps most notably Guillermo del Toro's Academy Award-winning 2017 film, The Shape of Water. But there are other areas where Millicent Patrick's work also connects to and contributes to genre history. Uh, Some of the ones that stand out to me, she was involved with the design of the Globs from the 1953 classic, It Came From Outer Space, the Metaluna Mutant in 1955's This Island, Earth and masks for the 1956 film The Mole People. In short, reading about Millicent Patrick's career and the many artistic transitions she made, some by choice, some not by choice, offers a kind of behind-the-scenes snapshot of genre history that we don't really see very often. Another thing we don't see very often, and which I found quite moving, was the final connection with Melissa's family surviving family and their memories of her and the way that Mallory O'Meara was able to connect with them and to sort of bring closure to her story with a lot of dignity and a lot of warmth as well. O'Meara also answers the big question of why we didn't know about Melissa Patrick, why her career came to what seems to be such an abrupt halt, and it is just as soul-crushingly awful as you might imagine. She was at the top of her game. Not only was she involved with creating the Creature from the Black Lagoon, The studio was so thrilled with not only her work, but with her and her charisma and her fire and passion for monster making that they created a national tour called The Beauty Who Created the Beast and sent her around to do personal appearances and interviews all over the country. And it was a rousing success. This kind of thing just didn't happen You didn't have people who were involved behind the scenes in creating monsters, becoming celebrities themselves, and being used to promote films in this way. This was just unprecedented. She was very careful at every step along the way to give credit, not only to the studio, but to her superior, Bud Westmore, who wanted credit for everything that happened in his department. But In a sense, she was the victim of her own success because Bud Westmore, who had been hired by Universal because he was a Westmore, the son of George Westmore, the brother of other Westmores, kind of the dynasty in Hollywood related to makeup and visual effects. He wanted credit for everything and was insanely jealous of her visibility and her success with this tour and so he made sure when she came back that she had no job even though the studio wanted her they wanted a westmore more and but westmore made it clear that it was millicent patrick or him But the note that I want to leave you on is that Mallory O'Meara has rescued Millicent Patrick from the obscurity to which she was so unfairly relegated. Again, this isn't a traditional history. This is very personal and autobiographical and confessional and opinionated, but it is also very funny and very heartwarming and passionate in all the best ways. If you're on the fence about perhaps trying this book, I would recommend from the LA Times, March 1st, 2019, a review by Liz Hand called Movie Monster Maker Millicent Patrick Finally Gets Her Due in The Lady from the Black Lagoon. And here's the way that Liz Hand ends that review. Quote, Patrick died in 1998 at age 82, largely forgotten except for a coterie of devoted fans. Omira has seen to it that she won't be forgotten again. Her book is a fierce and often very funny guide to the distaff side of geekdom and reproduces photos and examples of Patrick's work, many previously unpublished. That alone would be worth the price of admission to the world of this complex, brilliant artist. Quote. And there you have it, my look at The Lady from the Black Lagoon, 2019, from Hanover Press. And I look forward to joining you again very soon for something completely different when we take another look back into genre history. Thank you.
4: Amy, always a pleasure. Amy, thank you so much. Lovely to hear you back on our little airwaves drifting off into space. Thank you so much. So that is today's show. Share, share, man, share. <laughs> I'm really coughing now. Don't we get the supporters on period. And this is... Just wait a minute, just stop. Just just stop, stop, stop. Doubly important because we have lost... Like I say, Tales to Terrify was the big ad revenue through Acast. Tales to Terrify was a huge compared to Starship Solar in an Audience and it, you brought in the money that way. So we are just basically soul surviving on Perion. So, come on, pop over and help out there. That would be fantastic. Until next week, just like to say good night from me.
3: This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Get yeah, much? I barely left the ground. I'm tuning into your transmissions. I'm running, waiting to be found, and I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon, but the work is going slowly. It won't get to you anytime soon. Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you.